Always a highlight of the service, watching our preschoolers run out of the sanctuary. Um, For those of us staying in here, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses uh, 13 to 16. Um, If you don't have a Bible, that passage is printed for you in the bulletin you got in the way, and there would be some extras in the back on the welcome table. Um, It is no secret that the city of Greenville has grown and changed a lot in the last 20 years. I know some of you have been here for a long time, and you have watched those changes take place. Um, But because of all of the changes that have happened, especially to our downtown, um, we uh, as a city are on all kinds of best of lists. And I was looking this up, and uh, just for the last two and a half years, since, since 2021, I'm going to read the awards uh, that we, and recognition that we as, a, as the city of Greenville has, have received. I'll start um, most recently, work my way backwards. So this is starting in 2023. Uh, Greenville is on the list of 10 best cities to buy a home in 2023. I'm not sure if they had the right Greenville when they were looking up that one, but apparently 10 best cities to buy a home. Um, also this year, 10 blessed places to live. 20, um, we we're number 43 on the list. That's U.S. Uh, News and World Report. So that's just this year. Uh, 2022, HGTV said that we were one of the 30 most charming small town downtowns in America. Um, we got the award for best places for young professionals in South Carolina. Um, the Today Show said that this is a, a bit of an obscure category, but we were one of the best places for last-minute summer vacations to squeeze in before fall. <laughs> you know, the more specific the award, uh, the easier it is to get, I guess. But um, Condé Nast Traveler said that we were one of the ten friendliest cities in the U.S. Southern Living said we were one of the South's best cities on the rise. Um, uh, we were said to be one of the top places to go in the Southeast. CNN said best places to go for the fall. Lonely Planet said we were one of the best destinations in the U.S. to bring your dog. Um, LinkedIn said we were one of the most optimistic cities. That was 2022. Then 2021, um, 20 best beer towns in the U.S., according to Travel Magazine. Um, also, the Young Professionals Award that year. Um, 2021, best small city in the United States. Friendliest city again. Uh, Southern Living in 2021 said we were one of the best cities on the rise. And then Southern Living Holiday Edition said, uh, gave us the award for why you should plan a trip to Greenville, South Carolina this holiday season. All right, so um, that's a lot of hype, a lot of hype. Uh, That all came from our city's website, by the way. We're so proud of ourselves. Um, But because of all this hype, we now have city officials and, and chambers of commerce from other cities traveling to Greenville to meet with our city leaders to sort of figure out what the secret was Uh, to all this growth and this economic boom. Um, Because in the eyes of these other city leaders, Greenville has modeled the way to grow a healthy, flourishing city. And other city leaders are intrigued by this way, and they want to know what it is. Because they want to follow this way in their own city, so they could have similar recognition. Cities can influence other cities. Because people influence other people. Um, influence happens when a particular way of doing something is modeled for others to see. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is about modeling the way of Jesus for others to see. We're in a series right now looking at Jesus' most famous teaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And we just saw um, in this passage last week, uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, 
um, which is on the, it's on the podcast. You can look at it in your Bible. It's, it's the Beatitudes. It's this beautiful upside-down way of living. It's also our memory passage for this series because we think it's really important to meditate on and to think about um, because it describes the Beatitudes, this, this beautiful countercultural way of living. And now after telling us that, Jesus says, all right, now go and model that, watching, uh, that way to the watching world. That's what he's going to tell us in our passage. So let me read Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 for us. Jesus says to us, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, God, thank you for speaking to us in it. We pray that you would do that just now by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's the question for us to think about from this passage. Uh, What way are you modeling? my wife Erin recently had a conversation with a friend who lives in another state and this friend she was talking to is not a believer, not a Christian and is very open about that. And this friend actually said to her, said to my wife Erin in this conversation that, that she was trying to figure out what religion she was going to be and what religion she and her family would be. And um, then she proceeded to talk about um, some of her um, frustrations with Christianity and she, was, she told Erin a story about a Christian friend that she has um, And she said, you know, one of the main things that stood out about this Christian friend was how harsh she was. With her kids in particular. And she went on to tell a specific story about how this woman had communicated to her own son just how evil magic was and that magic was to be avoided at all costs. And it was just a young child hearing this and didn't really have any sort of category to hear that or receive that. And... um, but, but that was sort of what the message was from this Christian friend of, of the woman talking to my wife. Zoom out for a moment. Um, what has been modeled to Aaron's friend about the way of Jesus based on that interaction? Um, the, this is what has been modeled. that The way of Jesus is a way of harshness and a way of condemning evil things. That's the takeaway for Aaron's friend, that, that it's a way of harshness and legalism. Another example, um, when I was in college ministry years ago, I was meeting with a potential donor for our ministry, and I was talking about, you know, one of the things that we hope to see on campus is to see students who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, and that's what we pray for. That's a big reason why we're there day in and day out on campus. And, and he responded, this potential donor, and he got really excited about what I was saying. And, and this, um, as an aside, this was a very politically involved person, and it, his political party doesn't matter, but um, as I'm telling him this, he's getting excited about these conversions happening, and... and and, and, but his rationale surprised me because he looked at me and he said, you know, Jonathan, I, w- I would love to see these students become Christians because then they'll start voting according to my political party. All right, so in his mind, becoming a Christian means a, 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 a way of adopting certain political views and getting more votes for a particular political agenda. Zoom out from that 
Um, this was the way of Jesus that he was modeling for others, that it really is a way towards earthly political power. It is not easy to model the way. Easy to critique it in others when it's done poorly, really hard to do ourselves. How do we model the way? Three headings this morning. First, we model the way by being salt. Secondly, we model the way by being light. And third, we'll talk about the secret to modeling the way. First, we model the way by being salt. Jesus says in verse 13 of our passage that we are the salt of the earth. So what does salt do? What does salt do? Salt is both a condiment and a preservative. It's a condiment that we use for flavoring, for seasoning on our food. Um, Aaron and I were at a friend's house recently for dinner and, and the husband was cooking Dinner, making some incredible um, pasta and sauce, and this, it just looked amazing. It smelled amazing, and I knew this guy was kind of a foodie and kind of like nerded out on the details of what he was doing. And so I had to learn. I had to. I walked over to the stove, and I was like, "All right, tell me what, what you're doing. What are you doing here? What? How did you make this? What's the process? What are the ingredients?" And so he kind of talks me through this sauce that he was making, and. Um, and kind of tells me all the details and the, the whole process. And then he ended by saying, and you know, after all that, you just salt to taste. And I don't know a lot about food and cooking, but, um, but I'd heard that before. Um, salting to taste with your food, that's like cooking 101. And you can always tell if food has gone too far one way or the other. Not enough salt and it's bland. Too much salt, it's bitter. And this guy with the sauce, he nailed it. Um, salt adds flavor. It makes things better. It's also a preservative. So prior to having the refrigeration that we do now, um, salt was used to preserve things like meat for long periods of time. Um, one commentator described it as something that hinders decay, that, that, it, that it slowed down that process of the meat or whatever food it was uh, from decaying. It, it keeps things around longer. And Jesus is telling us to be like this. Um, add flavor to things around you. Uh, Keep the things around you from decaying like they would otherwise. So then we have to think about our own life and the the space where where, where we live and think, all right, what do you see decaying around you? You know, a lot of people would say that that, that culture right now is decaying quickly. And that may or may not be your view sort of as you read culture at large around us. But but by most standards, our North American culture... Um, just in terms of what is right and wrong, what is okay and not okay, it's changed dramatically, even in the last, like, 20 years. Um, How does Jesus want us to interact with that? He wants us to add flavor to it, and he wants us to help slow the decay. And when you sort of see, like, crazy things happening in culture around you, you turn on the news or watch TV or whatever, it just seems like, Everyone's losing their minds. Um, There's this real temptation if you're a Christian to kind of circle the wagons and just like protect you and yours and like make sure you're safe and steer clear of all the cultural decay around us. But Jesus nudges us to go out and to be salt. To go get involved and to slow that process of decay, to actually add flavor to it. What's the flavor that we add? How do we slow the process of decay? It's by living out those beatitudes that we talked about last week. Matthew 5, 3 to 12, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, 
to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to show mercy, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to suffer as Jesus suffered, to to embody those things to such a degree that it just affects how we live. That it, it is salt to the people and the places around us when we live in that way. And if you look at verse 13, there's also this warning not to lose our saltiness. How do we lose our saltiness? Uh, Think about the battery uh, on your phone. I was driving one night this week and I I didn't know where I was going so I had the GPS going on my phone. It was at the end of kind of a long day and so uh, I I got like the red warning signal that my battery only had 20% left on my phone and just had like the mild internal panic attack that I might, that my phone might die and then what do you do? What does one do if their phone dies? I'm not sure. Um, in, in our house, in our kitchen, we have the same spot where we charge our phones at night. Um, we pl- all plug them in in the same spot. And then what do we do? When we wake up in the morning, we all unplug the phones. We take them with us and we go out about our day using the phones like they're supposed to be used. But those phones, they'll, they'll only make it through the day if they've been charged. And as soon as that charge is gone, they're useless. Uh, the key to staying salty as a Christian is that we stay personally connected to Jesus. Um, We have to have regular times of charging, of filling up on Him, so that we can go out and navigate these broken, decaying spaces in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, on our sports teams. Um, How do we stay charged? How do we stay plugged into Jesus? Um, We're doing it right now. This is one of the ways. By being in worship on a regular basis. uh, By going to your neighborhood group. uh, By reading your Bible. By praying. By fasting. By taking communion. By singing to God in worship. Those are like things that Christians do. And it can be really easy to just start kind of checking those boxes as stuff that we're supposed to do. But these are actually essential ways that we stay connected to Jesus. And without regularly being charged up by those, by those things, we'll lose our saltiness. Then we'll either burn out or we'll just blend in. Uh, here's why this matters. Jesus has set things up in such a way that when you are near to him, when you are filled up on him, you have incredible influence on those around you. Uh, you bring the spirit of God into people and places around you. And this is actually going to be a means that he uses to grow his kingdom. So we model the way by being salt. That's the first heading. Second heading, we model the way by being light. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Um, on Friday night, my family and I went to the uh, J.L. Mann Greenville High football game, uh, which was a really, really fun uh, experience. It was a beautiful night, um, and we were sitting on, we, it was, Greenville hosted it, so we were sitting on the away side uh, of the stadium downtown, and it was um, really amazing. From our side of the stands, you could sort of see the sun uh, setting over the, over the home side of the stadium. And it just got darker and darker, and, 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 and it was like this deep blue. Uh, and you could see the, the few clouds in the sky were sort of illuminated by the sun as it went down. And soon enough, the sun was gone completely, and it was 
totally dark outside, except for the stadium lights. The stadium lights were shining so bright down on the football field and up on all the stands. So what was keeping the, the light shining was the Friday night lights. And there's a reason why Friday night lights is such an iconic idea and such an iconic look when it's just pitch black out and these like super bright lights are beaming down on the field. Because if you were to shut off those lights, uh, the game would be over. They couldn't play the game. The spectators wouldn't be able to know where, where, where they are or what's going on. But when those Friday night lights are turned on, there is such a sense of community and warmth and togetherness and rightness about being in that space and being together. Uh, the light brings something unique and special into that space. Um, light shines and makes darkness go away. It brings truth. It exposes what's really there. It brings warmth. It brings hope. It brings togetherness. Um, there's a reason why when there's a bonfire that we gather around it. Um, when Jesus died on the cross, do you know what happened? It went dark. And he was resurrected at sunrise. Um, as his people, we bring light into the darkness in the lives of the people and the places around us. Why does this matter? Jesus says that you are the light of the world. Like you and me. That we are salt and that we are light. He's saying that we have influence. And you may be in a role like a job uh, or a team captain or something like that where you're, you, you clearly have influence. Where there's maybe people that work for you or report to you in some way. And so there's some structural influence that you know that you have in your daily life. But others of you may be in a spot where you just think about your life and you're like, yeah, I don't have influence over anybody. <laughs> Nobody works for me. No one's reporting to me. Um, but listen to what this author, Paul Tripp, says about influence in our relationships. He says the bottom line is that you cannot have a relationship without being a person of influence. He says you give and receive counsel every day. It is not a task confined to paid professionals. It is woven into the fabric of human relationships. The problem is that we often don't recognize the powerful impact of those everyday encounters. Um, do you realize the powerful impact, the kingdom impact that your everyday encounters have on others, that you actually are, whether you know it or not, you are a person of influence? Um, and Jesus points out he, in verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's saying that your influence is so powerful that when you live out this beautifully upside down way of Jesus, when you model this, people will become Christians. People who are not Christians before will actually become Christians because of how you're living your life. And their story is going to be that so-and-so modeled a different way for me. I saw what it was like to follow Jesus when so-and-so lived it out around me. But it's really, really hard to do this. It is really hard to be salt and light. What gets in the way of us being salt and light? What are some barriers to us being salt and light? I'll just name three. There's probably a lot more. The first barrier to being salt and light is this. When we live a life that preaches a message different from our words. When our words and our life don't match up. Um, and this is not saying, you know, that, that, that we're supposed to live perfect lives. We're, we are repentant, 
growing Christians, all in process. But when there's a, real, a major distinction between the things that we talk about with our mouths and the way that we actually live out our lives, um, that, that can be a big problem. That can really uh, be a hindrance to our influence on others. Um, in, in some recent uh, studies on the local church, uh, Gen Z, one of Gen Z's biggest turnoffs with the local church is when church leadership preaches one thing and lives in another way. It's a big deal. That can be a barrier to being salt and light as if we, as if we profess to be followers of Jesus but then live a different way. Another barrier is avoiding places that need salt and light. Um, if we're only around other Christians all the time, we just won't have the opportunity to be salt and light because there's only going to be just more salt and more light around us. Um, Think about the image of, of your phone and charging your phone. Uh, you know, obviously when your phone is plugged into the wall, like there's a sense in which it's, 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 that's when it's at its strongest, when it's plugged in and it's charging. But if it only were to ever stay on the charger, it wouldn't ever really be functioning like a phone is supposed to function. Like the whole point is that you take it off the phone and you go out and use the phone in the way that it's supposed to be used. you got to unplug it and go use it. Um, to really be salt and light, we need to be in places that need salt and light. And if we avoid those places, that can be a barrier. And then the third barrier would be this, is um, that we would be more influenced by a different message. Um, Once a year at our church, we do this thing called Rising Leaders. It's basically kind of a long uh, group conversation about how to grow in our personal and spiritual health. And one of the exercises we do at one of the gatherings is to make a list of all the inputs that we have in our life. Like, as practical as you can think about it, just a given day in your week, what are you taking in? What are the inputs that are shaping you, that are influencing you? And, and then we'll make these lists silently on our own, and then we'll talk about them together. And some of the common things, some of the common inputs that, that are on these lists are obviously our phones, the things we access on our phones, things like social media, Maybe certain podcasts we listen to on a weekly basis that really have our ear. Maybe certain musicians we love, their song lyrics we just listen to a lot, that's shaping us. Whatever show or movie we're streaming, that's an input. Uh, maybe it's just conversations you have in relationships, conversations with your family, conversations with coworkers or schoolmates uh, or friends. Um, those are all different inputs that are shaping who we are, what we're into, what we love, what we think about. And if you get enough of those inputs that are shaping on a daily basis, that are communicating something other than the beauty and truth of who Jesus is, then those inputs are going to win out. Those inputs will shape you more so than Jesus is shaping you. Those are just some of the barriers. How do we avoid those barriers? What's the secret to being salt and light and to truly model this way of Jesus. Third and final heading. Let's talk about the secret to modeling the way. Um, pretty much everything about Jesus is upside down. Compared to how we would think about it. Uh, or how we would approach it. And that's part of the reason why he is so compelling. Um, the secret to modeling the way is to not focus on modeling the way. But to instead focus on Jesus who is the way. There's a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, uh, which is an older book by um, an author named Timothy Galway. I know nothing about tennis. I do not play tennis. But this is a fascinating sort of psychological approach, not just to tennis, but to all kinds of stuff. 
And there's this point in the book where he talks about people trying to improve their serve in tennis, which obviously I know enough to know that like the serve is pretty crucial. Uh, if you have a good serve, that'll go a long way on your tennis game. Um, and he said when, when he works with people who are trying to improve their serve, they get really dialed in and focused on like the specific mechanics of the serve itself. And they will really focus on the mechanics. Like, again, I don't know the exact examples of what you're supposed to do, but maybe like shoulder position or shoulder movement of the serve. Exactly how they're gripping the racket. Uh, exactly where their elbow is mid-serve and how that rotation is happening. And they'll get so dialed in that they'll just get paralyzed by like, is, is my elbow in the right spot when I'm serving? And just I'm, Every time I serve, I'm thinking about my elbow placement and it's just kind of driving me crazy and I'm so dialed in. And so one of the things... Um, that he tells them to do is he, he says, um, all right, stop doing that. He says, imagine a professional tennis player serving the ball and then just go do what they do. That's his advice. He says, don't overthink it. Don't focus on where your elbow is. Just picture the professional tennis player serving and imitate that. Just do what they do. And he says that if they can free themselves up to stop obsessing over the, the minute mechanics of it and just to have the, the image in their mind of what a professional, what a good serve looks like, then they can really start improving. But obviously to be able to get to that point, they need to watch a lot of professional tennis. Um, the movement of the professional's body during a serve, it has to be so deeply ingrained in their mind's eye that it just kind of flows out of them. We're like, oh yeah, I can picture that. And they start doing it. The secret to modeling the way is staying near to Jesus. Um, when who He is and what He's like gets really deep down into your heart, you will start living like Him. Um, it's almost like a song that you love that just gets stuck in your head and you, you find yourself singing it throughout the day because it's just in there and you've listened to it so much. And you haven't even really tried to, to memorize the lyrics of that song. You just love the song so you know the song. Um, the way to grow the way to grow in that love the love that Jesus has for you is to remember time and again how much he really loves you to come back to him time and time again and this is how much he loves you he loves you so much that he came and did for you what you could not do for yourself he did not have to do that but because he loved you, he came and lived the life that you were supposed to live. Meeting all the righteous requirements that God had for you. He did that in your place. All those ways in which we fail, he did it perfectly. Why? Because he loved us. And all the ways that we fail, that, that was supposed to mean our death. Our separation from God. And if left to ourselves, that would have been the case. But instead, not only did Jesus come and live perfectly for us, but he said, look, you've really messed this up. And you deserve death because of that. But I'm going to take that death on myself. And so he takes all of our baggage, all of our sin, all of our shame, all those things, takes it upon himself, and he goes to the cross in our place. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us so much that he did all that for us when we wanted nothing to do with him. Um, meditating on that love, thinking about that kind of love, Letting it fill you is what will begin to really transform you and really begin to transform your life. And when that begins to happen, when you really become captivated with who Jesus is, when he's really captured your heart, when Christianity is not a bunch of boxes that you're checking, 
but it's a person that you are enamored with. Uh, little by little, over time, his love, his way of being, his way of caring for people, his way of life is going to fill you up so much it's begin, going to begin to overflow out of you. And you'll really start modeling that way to others. Uh, going into high school, uh, I was not a Christian. Did not believe. Um, however, prior to that year, my older brother had become a Christian. And I, um, over the course of about a year, watched his life change. Again, not a believer, wasn't attending church, didn't have categories for it. I just saw my brother come to faith in Jesus and I saw his life really begin to change. Uh, prior to this year, I, you know, our, we were two brothers, our way of interacting was mostly like really mean. <laughs> just a lot of really mean humor, a lot of sarcasm, uh, a lot of tearing each other down. But I noticed that that started changing on his side after he became a Christian. And then I noticed that um, the people he started hanging out with on a regular basis began to change. And that these people also were really kind, loving people. I saw the way they treated each other. It was a way that I'd never seen people treat each other. Really kind, really good friends to each other. And then they directed that towards me. And then he was two years older. So I was this lowly freshman in high school where I saw these people who I knew were Christians because my brother told me that he had become a Christian. Um, the way that they treated me was, was a way that I'd never been treated before. They actually cared about me. They asked real questions about my life. They like picked me up in their car and took me places and, like, and brought me along and included me. And um, what they were doing was that they were modeling the way of love. Um, they were modeling the way of Jesus to me. And um, even as a 15-year-old guy, I thought, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Whatever it is these people are doing, whatever it is that they believe, this is beautiful. And I will never forget praying one night as I was going to sleep, God, I don't really know what it means to become a Christian, but I want what they have. Um, God used my brother and those Christians in my high school to bring me to myself, or to bring me to himself, all because they modeled the way for me. Um, Jesus the one who leads the way, invites you to come and follow him this morning. And when you do, when he really captures your heart, you'll begin to start modeling this way for others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that uh, you don't just tell us, you don't just tell us what to do. You've shown us what to do. You've shown us perfectly in the person of Jesus. And uh, what a beautiful life he lived. God, would you give us eyes to see how beautiful you are, how beautiful Jesus was in, in his life on this earth. And Father, would you help us to model the way? Would you help us to model the way for each other? Would you help us to model the way for those who are younger than us, even some of the children in our church? Father, would you help us to model the way in our neighborhoods for our actual real neighbors? Um, would you help us to model the way for our friends at school who don't know you? Would you help us to model the way for those kids on our sports team that don't know you? Would you help us to model the way for those at work that don't know you? Um, we confess that we will do this imperfectly and we cannot do it without your help, but we want to do it. Jesus, we want to follow you and we want others to see our way that they might come to know you. We pray this in your name. Amen.